This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome registered dietitian Katie Ferraro to the show. Katie is the founder of Baby Led Wean Team, a mom of seven, quads, twins, and a singleton, and host of the top-rated parenting podcast called Baby Led Weaning Made Easy. I've invited Katie to join us today to help us understand what baby led weaning is, how to start the process, and also to ease our anxiety around starting solids when it comes to common concerns like choking and gagging, or how to introduce potentially highly allergic foods in a safe and contained way. Katie had seven children ages three and under. And beyond all the valuable information that she brings to this episode, she was just such a riot to get to know and hang out with. Let's tune into this conversation with Katie Ferraro. Up to 20% of new moms experience postpartum depression or anxiety, weepiness, irritability, sadness, or constant worry. These things can make it hard to take care of yourself and your baby. Too often, we think that we just have to deal with it or that it will go away on its own. And sometimes we're so busy and overwhelmed that the idea of going to see a therapist is even more stressful. At MomWell, we know that maternal mental health care matters. And we also know that moms are struggling to find quality, judgment-free providers. In fact, one in five women feel that they've been dismissed or ignored by a healthcare provider. It's time to change the way moms are treated. Our qualified maternal mental health specialists are here to support moms across Canada and the United States. You can access private virtual therapy sessions with experienced mental health care providers from anywhere with internet access. With just a few clicks, you can find a mom therapist in your area and book a free 15-minute consultation to get started. Postpartum life can be hard, but mental health care doesn't have to be difficult to access. Find out if we serve your area and book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com slash booking. That's momwell.com slash booking. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWell, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We were just chit-chatting off air and I'm just like, wow, with your whole motherhood experience, I can't wait to unpack your story and your specialty and why you're here. And yeah, just so excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. Today, we're bringing you on for baby-led weaning. This is what you've built your platform around and your personal story is also so interesting. How 
did your platform get birthed? Like, how did it come about for you? Well, as a first-time mom, and I'm a dietitian, so my background is in nutrition and feeding, and I was completely overwhelmed by how much of a failure I felt like when it came to all things feeding with my oldest child. I struggled with breastfeeding, never got the hang of that, just pumped exclusively for her. And then when it came to starting solid foods, my doctor said, you know, start rice cereal at four months of age. And I was like, okay, like she doesn't seem into it. Can't really sit up yet. This doesn't feel great. So we started spoon feeding and it went terribly. I mean, mm. immediately off the bat, our mealtimes just evolved into these downright battlegrounds. And I felt like such an abject failure as a parent because like what kind of mom can't feed her own baby and then what kind of dietitian mom at that? So kind of at the height of our feeding frustrations with our oldest, Molly, my husband and I found out that I was pregnant with quadruplets. Like blows my mind. Exactly. And I never say like we were pregnant, like he was not physically carrying quadruplets. It was me. <laughs> it was terrifying. And I remember the first time I saw all four babies on the ultrasound. We had been doing fertility treatments, but we certainly were not expecting four and that was not the plan. Mm. And when I saw all four babies there... I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to feed four babies at once when I can't even feed the one baby that I have at home? So fast forward, ended up giving birth to quadruplets at 34 weeks, mm -hmm. three boys and one girl, and they spent their first part of the life as preemie babies do in the NICU growing and getting stronger. And friends would come and help feed the babies. And I remember a colleague saying, you know, how's it going spoon feeding Molly or feeding Molly? And I was like, oh, actually, it's really terrible. I hate it. She hates it. I think she hates me. And my friend said, well, why don't you try baby led weaning? And I was like, Baby mm. linguini? Like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of this. And she said, well, it's this alternative to conventional adult-led spoon feeding where you wait until the babies are ready, you offer them safe, wholesome foods, and they pick the food up and feed it to themselves. And I was like, this sounds too good to be true. So I spent mm -hmm. all my time in the NICU. I, at that time, I was working as a college nutrition professor and really just like connecting with my feeding colleagues, being like, is this baby-led weaning thing real? And I came to find out there's a real incredible body of research that supports baby-led weaning as an alternative to conventional spoon feeding. So mm. when the quads were ready to start solid foods, we went all in on baby led weaning, except at that time, there were no good resources on exactly how to do it. So yeah. there were a lot of trial and error and tears. And I know we were talking before some of the anxiety that you had about starting solid foods. I feel like I made every single mistake. Yeah. But as a result, when we worked through it, we realized that prior to one year of age, the quadruplets had eaten over 100 foods. And I mean, this was such a transformative experience for our entire family that I switched the whole focus of my nutrition career to focus exclusively on baby-led weaning. And then when the quads were 18 months old, we had another set of multiples, a set of twins, babies, Gus and Hannah. So we had seven kids, three and under for a while. And I feel like seven the only- kids, <laughs> yes. three and under? So yeah, so wow. like Molly was three, the quads were one and a half, and then the twins were babies. And I honestly think having like independent eaters and children that actually liked eating was one of the few things that helped me get through that because we weren't struggling at mealtimes. There wasn't picky eating. We didn't have to do the short order cooking. And so with Gus and Hannah, when they started Solid Foods, I had kind of refined this whole idea of the 100 first foods approach to solid foods. And I actually started my Instagram account, Baby Led Wean Team. Um, at this point, about five years ago, to track Gus and Hannah's 100 First Foods. I didn't want to spam my family account with all the baby led weaning content, right. but it really kind of took off. People like, how did you make the food? And show me how you did it. And we turned it into a digital program. And now it's a program that's helped tens of thousands of families around the world give their babies a safe start to solid foods. And this notion of like mm. diet diversity and really getting your baby to eat 100 different foods during that all important flavor window. Because as we all know, if you've had a toddler, there is some degree of picky eating or 
food neophobia that's going to kick in in that second year, right? And you are not a bad mom if you did baby led weaning or whatever you did and your one-year-old's picky. That's developmentally appropriate. Right. Kids who've been spoon-fed, they really have only at most 10 or 15 foods by the time they turn one. And if you lose those 10 or 15 foods to picky eating, that becomes a very challenging child to feed. Mm. But if the baby can eat 100 foods and you lose 10 or 15 of those foods to picky eating, no big deal, right? Because you still have 85 or 90 foods. So there's no way to prevent picky eating, but this approach really helps mitigate the picky eating and really helps parents get through that very challenging part of toddlerhood. So I always tell parents, like, you got to feed this kid for the next 17 and a half years of its life. Like, you might as well do the work up front, Mm. taking advantage of that flavor window, really hitting them hard with all these different foods. And it's just, it's been so amazing what babies will eat and watching babies all over the world be able to participate in mealtimes with their family, enjoy their family foods, their family food culture together from their baby's first bites in a way that's cheaper. It certainly saves time and money and sanity for the family. So I I am like such an advocate for this whole approach. It's so incredible. So, okay. For those who are not super familiar with what baby led weaning is and how it's different, because I feel like I did kind of blended approaches, honestly, with my kids. I had like a Vitamix and blended all the foods into this whole, you know, prepped for solids, but then also maybe out of a need to build some more independence in my children, started to kind of relax or, or approach things a little bit differently, I feel like, as I went on and we discovered allergies along the way, and we can talk about that. But what is baby led weaning and how is it different from more like purees or that spoon fed approach? So baby led weaning is an alternative to conventional parent led spoon feeding. Okay. So it does not mean skipping purees. And unfortunately, people think that. Okay. Purees are a very important texture for babies to learn how to master. They're just not the only texture that babies can eat. Mm. So we teach parents you know, you can honor the self-feeding principles of baby-led weaning and still offer naturally pureed foods like oatmeal and, and full-fat whole milk yogurt or unsweetened applesauce. We do that with what's called a pre-loaded spoon approach. So we teach the parents how to get the baby to feed themselves because putting anything in your baby's mouth, including a spoon, can be a choking hazard. So a lot of what we do is teaching independence. We teach open cup drinking from six months of age. We teach this preloaded spoon approach. There's a big emphasis on finger foods. So we offer foods that are about the size of your adult pinky finger, soft, solid strips of food that even the earliest eaters at six or seven months of age, they use their whole hand or their palmer grasp to rake and scoop those larger pieces of food up and they can bring the food to their mouth. So the baby with their little gums, even without teeth, because you don't need teeth to start solid foods, they can bite off a piece. They feel what it feels like in their mouth. They move it around their mouth. If it goes too far back, they gag. That's them learning how to eat. They push it forward. And they eventually, with all of this practice, meal after meal and day after day, that turns into chewing, that turns into swallowing. But the baby is the one driving the eating experience. And that's the crux of baby led weaning. Mm. And it's just an extension of many of the responsive feeding methods that parents employ in the earlier part of infancy, right? We learn about responsive bottle feeding. And when the baby is breastfeeding, right, they turn their face away from the breast or the bottle when they're full. And so we need to continue that on in the second half of infancy. Mm. So this baby led weaning approach is putting the control in the baby's hands, literally. Mm -hmm. But it's very important that we wait until the baby is truly ready to start because none of this works at four or five months of age. And we know babies don't need anything except infant milk, and that's breast milk or formula, until they turn six months of age. So one thing that really helps reduce anxiety in parents is when they see their babies sitting relatively independently on their own, which only occurs in the vast majority of babies after six months of age. We say, look, your baby's got that trunk strength. They've got that head support. 
they can now facilitate a safe swallow of something other than infant milk. Mm. But we have to wait until they're ready and then we have to prepare the foods properly. So as a dietitian, my focus is really on helping parents prepare those foods safely. Mm. Okay. So as somebody who had postpartum anxiety and as somebody who works with a lot of moms, whether first-time moms who are just sort of, you know, a little anxious or kind of flighty, especially around like gagging and choking, or with more sort of chronic anxiety, feeding, oh my gosh, from even just from birth through till, you know, we're out of the really picky years can be really anxiety provoking and challenging for a couple of reasons, I think that come to mind. Number one, I've experienced personally, there's an eagerness to start solids, especially if our baby is not sleeping, thinking that, you know, it's going to help them sleep better throughout the night and that there's some connection there between like sleep and full belly and solid food and whatever. So that's a piece of it. And then also, I feel like there is a lot of anxiety, generally speaking, about allergies and choking. And if we tend to be a little on the, I don't know if hypervigilant side is the right word, but we have a really low tolerance for like a gag, for example, baby led weaning is going to be sending off our alarm bells a lot of the time because it feels so outside of our control, maybe even though we can control what we're serving them. I don't know. Are these anxieties that have come up in your community around food and starting solids? Oh, 100%. Like I would say the majority of our content is centered around helping parents overcome their fears to starting solid foods. And Mm. you brought up a lot of very good points in summarizing what you hear from parents, which is the exact same thing that we hear. So one thing I remind parents is, and we teach extensively about this, that gagging is very different from choking. Mm. So gagging is a good thing when your baby is learning how to eat, whereas choking is a potentially life-threatening experience, right? With gagging, your baby turns red or they turn pink and they're coughing and they're sputtering, but that's good. Noise is good because it means air is passing through. And a baby who is six months of age, plus sitting independently on their own, if their feet are resting flat on a solid foot plate, and that's very, very important when starting solid foods, that we have those feet on a foot rest, that baby can recover from a gag on their own. And so we show parents, this is what a gag looks like. A choke is very different, right? A baby turning blue or purple, and there's no sound. Chokes are totally silent Mm. in the vast majority of cases because there's no air passing through. You're never going to hear your baby choke. So sometimes our parents are like, cool, it's mealtime. I'm going to get on my phone and infinite scroll, but like, no, mealtime is when you should be paying the most attention because if your baby is going to choke, you won't hear it. Mm. And we always recommend that parents take an infant refresher CPR course prior to starting solid foods. I know everybody took CPR before their baby was born. That was over six months ago. I can't remember like literally what I had for breakfast today, Mm -hmm. let alone the particulars (laughs) of a class I took six months ago. Mm. So we help parents by showing them lots of videos of babies gagging because watching a baby gag and recover on their own and go right back to eating can help build confidence in your baby's ability to do the same. Mm. We also encourage taking that infant refresher CPR course. There's some wonderful, very high quality, very affordable online options that will bring you right back up to speed because the research shows us there's no higher risk of choking when you do baby led weaning compared to conventional spoon feeding, but that only holds true when parents are educated about reducing choking risk. So we do all the education on how to reduce the choking risk, but in the rare event that your baby does have a choking incident, you must know CPR. CPR saves lives. Mm. So having the education, we really encourage parents to start learning about this transition to solid foods at three and four and five months of age because your baby will be moving into that next phase at six months of age. And we want you to be prepared and have all of the knowledge so that when your baby gags, you know exactly how to react 
and not how to react. And you also mentioned food allergies. Mm-hmm. You talked about these big nine allergenic foods, and they're the foods that account for about 90% of food allergy in North America. And we teach parents because we follow the updated guidelines and the medical standards, which are early introduction of these allergenic foods, helps reduce the risk of food allergy down the road. And parents will push back like, whoa, 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 not for me. Don't make me feed a food to my baby that might potentially cause them to have an allergic reaction. Mm. And so we teach them, listen, the only way to know if your baby is allergic to a food is to actually offer them that food. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing we can do as parents, the only risk factor that we can modify to lower the risk of food allergy is to introduce those allergenic foods early and often. So I always say parenting involves doing a lot of things you don't want to. Like I personally do not like changing that many diapers. We had six in diapers at one time. Like that many diapers every day. I'm like, I hate this, but I have to do it. With the allergenic foods, you have to do it because it's the way you lower your baby's risk of food allergy. And we know of absolutely no benefits to withholding allergenic foods. And in fact, withholding the introduction of those allergenic foods actually increases the potential likelihood of food allergy Mm. down the road, not to mention that anaphylactic reactions from food are more severe the older the child gets. And honestly, even though it's scary, death from anaphylaxis in infancy with regards to food intake is almost all but unheard of. So your baby had an allergic reaction to a food, and I'd love to learn more about those food allergies. And it was scary, but your baby didn't die You took the appropriate medical steps. If you get a diagnosis, then you refrain from offering that food. Right. We tell parents, you know, oh, I'm sorry your baby is allergic to cow's milk, protein, and egg, but there are 98 other foods on our 100 First Foods list that your baby can safely eat. Mm. Let me show you how to make those foods safe for your baby to eat so that you can see all of the potential instead of thinking of this diagnosis as like a sentence and, oh my gosh, now I'm in food allergy jail and my kid will never be able to eat anything. Mm -hmm. And there are certainly food allergy cases where they're very severe and very unique where the child can eat almost nothing. Right. That's the exception. And the vast majority of babies, they're not going to be allergic to those foods, but you're never going to know unless you offer them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ours was a peanut allergy and working with the pediatric allergist, she was like, well, of all the allergies, this is one of the best ones to have is you know, what every mom wants to hear. But truthfully, because there's a standard around labeling this and for schools, what is allowed to be in lunches and not versus like dairy or wheat or things that are more challenging and kind of in everything. But we had introduced peanut. I'd introduced it like on a couple of occasions. And you know how it goes with baby lead weaning. Like what actually makes it in their mouth? Yeah, it's like how much did they actually eat? Right. That's part of it. But also uh, babies will only react on their second or subsequent exposure. Most of peanut exposure does happen environmentally. Like if you eat peanuts in your household, they do these cool studies where they'll measure like the amount of peanut dust in the baby's crib mattress sheets. And they'll be like, oh, there's so much peanut dust that it actually is counting as the exposure. So the first time your baby eats it, they might react. But what you mentioned is much more common because they don't actually eat that much. No, like we would put it on like, you know, those mom, mom, like rice cracker things that like dissolve. Okay, this is an aside, like Cheerios or mom, moms or any of those things that could like stick to the baby's hand or they could grab them and it would kind of like be there. But that's baby led weaning, anything the baby can pick up and feed to themselves. And with peanut butter, you know, we don't offer thick globs of nut butter or intact nuts to babies because those can be a choking hazard. But you can take unsweetened, unsalted, smooth peanut butter and thin it out with breast milk or formula or unsweetened applesauce. Mm. And you get it nice and thin where it drips off of your adult stainless steel spoon. That shows you that it's thin enough to not be stuck on the roof of the baby's mouth or the sides of their mouth. And you put that on the preloaded spoon or they use their hands and they can bring it to their mouth. We also have these kind of convenient 
no salt, no sugar, peanut puffs that they can pick up and feed to themselves. And again, those products are out there for parents who are just like super concerned about the mess. But we also remind parents like, Getting messy is part of learning how to eat. Mm -hmm. And learning how to eat is a full sensory experience. It involves touching and smushing and smashing it in their hair. And eventually it will get in their mouth and (laughs) tasting it where they'll then learn to chew and swallow it. So as much as parents ask, like, what can I do to eliminate the mess? The goal is not to eliminate the mess. We can help minimize the mess with a few tips and tricks. But getting messy is part of learning how to eat. And that can be very hard for parents who are particularly anxious. But Sometimes when you teach them the developmental benefits of that, like Mm. this is not a sign that you're a bad mom with a messy house. This is a sign that your baby is being afforded ample time and opportunity to learn how to eat. And part of that involves getting messy with the food, Mm -hmm. but they're touching the food, they're enjoying the food, and they're eventually learning how to eat it. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place, And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 And use the code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off. That's code MOMWELL50 at factormeals.com slash MOMWELL50 to get 50% off. (laughs) 
we had done introduction to peanut. I don't know. I don't even know how many times before, honestly, with him. And then I started to notice that he would scratch at his ears or like, like pat at his ears and start to get uncomfortable. And then I would notice a bit of a red rash around his face and it would get a little hivey looking, but not full on hives. So that was an indication to be like, let's halt peanut. Let's book an appointment with our pediatrician and, you know, explore this before, you know, we push it any further. And sure enough, he was allergic when they did the scratch test. And then they had a blood test that we could do to understand the level of protein. And yeah, it doesn't necessarily predict severity, but it does kind of give some data around what the allergy looks like for him. And he had quite a significant allergy. Now, it wasn't anaphylactic at first. Like, it wasn't like a terrifying experience when, when we did discover the allergy. And it's not been anaphylactic, knock on wood. But we proceeded to do oral immunotherapy a couple of years later. And it was like life changing because he had like a blood count of nine that's down to like 1.7 and to be tolerant is just under one. So he's come down. How old is he now? So he is now eight, I think. Eight. I think he just turned eight. So we've been on this. We did the OIT program. It starts with micro, micro doses, builds up the tolerance every day. Right now he currently eats three peanuts a day to maintain the tolerance within his like immune system and to build it up. And over like an amount of time as we continue to test him, if his blood count, like the protein count against the allergy comes down under whatever degree the allergist feels comfortable with, then we'll do a food challenge to see if he's actually built up tolerance to this peanut allergy. And can I ask, because you're in Canada, is that covered or do you have to pay out of pocket for the oral immunotherapy? That was actually not covered. They're pushing for it to be covered and I think it eventually will be covered if it's covered now since we did it. This was probably four years ago, maybe four or five years ago. It was not cheap. It was probably close to $10,000 to do it. Yeah, but we sort of bit the bullet and it was spaced out. The cost was spaced out over the duration of the program and, you know, a few things. But we sort of saw it as an investment in his, like, quality of life in a way. And so now he has a level of tolerance that he's not at risk of a an accidental exposure in the same way. Because before we did this oral immunotherapy and what started to really freak me out was he went from being able like to in- ingest it and that's what triggered us going down this, you know, getting him tested and all of that. But after that, we bought like a bag of Hot Wheels cars, like dinky cars from another mom for potty training <laughs> rewards or whatever. And he was fishing around to choose the car he wanted after potty training and we would take them and wash them in the sink because they were used from somebody else and then he would get to go play with it. The rooting around in the bag of cars that had not been washed yet triggered a full-blown reaction where we had to like, he's high, so we had to give him his medicine and all of that. So he didn't even ingest it at that point and he may have just come in contact with it. So it seemed as though the severity of each reaction was increasing So ultimately, we were fortunate enough to be able to afford and go through the OIT program. And it's been great for us. And so it's really helped to control my anxiety around it all. And we'll do a food challenge here eventually. But at a cost of $10,000. I mean, that's insane. Oh, and an enormous cost. An enormous cost. So it's not covered. Yeah. And not available for every food allergy either. There are only certain ones that are sort of eligible for this program because there are some that are much more complicated from what I understand. Yeah. Well, your doctor's right. You are lucky with peanut because we understand the most about peanut allergy. There's still so much that we don't understand about food allergy. And that's very frustrating to parents. They'll say things like, okay, you say offer these 
allergenic foods to my baby early and often. How early? How often? How much? Guess what, guys? We really don't know. But we know a lot more than we knew 20 years ago when, for example, I was going through dietitian school and they would teach things like you wait until one and two and three to introduce peanut and egg and these different allergens and with absolutely no research to support it. So we have had a sea change in the way we treat prevention of food allergies and management of food allergies. OIT wasn't even an option just a number of years ago. And in your situation with your baby, you had offered multiple exposures, which is good because what if you had just done peanut butter once and you're like, checked it off, we're done. That's not how it works. It's repeated exposures. It doesn't need to be every day, but once you get these allergenic foods as part of your baby's familiar foods, you want to continue to reintroduce them. And the testing can be a very frustrating thing as well. Our community consists primarily of parents from North America. So a lot of Canadian moms, a very different situation when they suspect an allergy at six months of age, sometimes they can't even get in to see a pediatric allergist until after the baby turns one. Well, that's really hard because that weaning period is six to 12 months of age. By 12 months of age, most of your baby's nutrition can be coming from food. Researchers are thinking that the protective window for introduction of these allergenic foods closes around 11 months of age. Mm. So if you tell a parent, I can't see you till after your baby is 12 months of age, and they're terrified to introduce any other foods, you get these 12-month-olds who are only eating like purees and infant milk when most of their nutrition should be coming from solid foods, but they're just terrified. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear your experience because unfortunately we hear, I mean, American moms are jealous of Canadian moms' maternity leave, and then Canadian moms are jealous of American moms' ability to get in to see a pediatric allergist really early. (laughs) The access of care, well, even a pediatrician, the system, because it is so sort of overfilled, the wait list and the referral process, everything's sort of gatekeeped through your primary care doctor. So you can't just access a pediatrician, you can't just access it like a pediatric allergist. And so you've got to go through this whole referral system and you know, I just happened to already have a pediatrician at the time who sort of got us through. And and honestly, I can't even remember the weight, but I'm sure that there was a significant weight to get in to see the allergist. So it does take up some of that time. And we held off on it, but like depending on that reaction. So like, let's say I didn't have a really strong anxious reaction. Not that I recall at the time, but let's say we're already really anxious, right? About the idea of maybe we've had an allergy or we've heard horror stories or we're just maybe baseline anxious, generally speaking. And then something comes up where the like baby is gagging or we've got this allergic reaction. It can feel really paralyzing then because you feel like, okay, I need to obviously feed my child. Like that is necessary. I need to do that to keep them alive. But every time I go to do it, it feels like a threat because my whole body reacts in fear and anxiety that like we're kind of like battling with ourselves a little bit. And it's really tricky to find Uh, Maybe the confidence or what I hear a lot of moms say is the guidance to know whether we're doing it right or not, you know? I completely understand that. I heard that from parents for years and even myself experienced that when I was starting solid foods with the quadruplets, there were no good resources on how do I safely prepare the foods? You say introduce allergenic foods. How am I going to feed a six-month-old shellfish? Well, there's lots of safe ways that we can make shellfish for six-month-olds, but there's lots of unsafe ways as well. Mm. So in our programs, we show parents the order and the sequence in which to introduce foods, but giving them a lot of autonomy and allowing them to swap out foods and pick their favorite foods and have their family and their food culture foods so that they're not introducing things that they're not familiar with as well. Right. But what we run into a lot is parents like, listen, Katie, I don't know how to cook. Or they'll admit, I don't have the best relationship with food myself. And I don't want to project my food issues onto my child. And we completely mm-hmm. understand that. And 
One thing that I think is very helpful for parents, especially with that higher level of anxiety, is we teach a purees for a few days approach. And I'm talking three days, Mm -hmm. not weeks and months of purees. The babies don't need that. But just this little bridge where we show you, look, your baby can and wants to eat something besides infant milk, it gives them this confidence of like, oh, it's not on me. The baby can do this for them. Mm. And so the mantra that really helps parents is to remind yourself at the table, what's my job here? So if you take Ellen Satter, who's an American dietitian and a licensed therapist, she has what's called the division of responsibility in feeding model. Mm -hmm. And what it essentially says is that we as parents have three jobs. We are in charge of what the child eats, when the child eats, and where the child eats. But the child is ultimately in charge of how much or even whether they eat. Mm. And if you can just burn that into your brain, I have three jobs, what, where, when the baby eats. I got to make the food safe. I got to have them seated safely in a high chair when we're starting solid foods. And toddlers and older children should also be sitting down when they're eating because running around and eating and falling is how children choke on food. So you're in charge of what and where and when. We have to have set meal times. We don't graze all day long. Children only ask for snacks if they've been conditioned to be offered snacks all day mm. long. And we can talk about snacks later, but the one thing I love about babies is babies don't need snacks. Mm. The milk that we're offering in between meals, that is their snack. So I'm the mom. I'm in charge of what the baby eats, where they eat, and when they eat. And when I put that safely prepared food out to the baby who's positioned properly in the high chair at set meal times, the baby is then allowed to decide how much or even whether they eat. And so when the baby doesn't eat the beef brisket that I so lovingly and painstakingly mm-hmm. made for them, mm-hmm. I'm not a bad mom. I'm doing my job. Mm-hmm. The baby needs lots of practice to learn how to eat. And when they pick it up and they smell it and they look at it and they lick it and they suck on it and they put it in their mouth and it's too far so they pull it out, they're not quote unquote eating anything that early on, but they're learning so many important things about how to eat. Mm. And so most of your baby's nutrition is still going to be coming from infant milk when you start solid foods. And if you could remember that, because parents get, well, they need to get more iron. And what if they're not getting enough zinc? And oh my gosh, they're six months. They need to be getting all their nutrition from food. No, they don't. Mm. You have six months to get there. Mm-hmm. By 12 months of age, we like to see most healthy, neurotypical, full-term babies. They're getting most of their nutrition by 12 months of age, but it took them six months to get there. Mm-hmm. And so while we use social media a lot to show parents, you know, this is how you make the food and this is what a gag looks like and sounds like, and this is how you react so you can be prepared, It also does a disservice because parents see other babies. We show a nine-month-old baby, a mom with a six-month-old baby who might be as big as that nine-month-old thinks, oh my God, that baby's eating so much more than my baby. Mm. Why isn't my baby eating that much? So we always try to say, you know, if if social media is stressing you out, like if it's useful for you to learn something new, great. But if you're comparing your baby or their milestones or their development to other babies you see online and that's causing you stress, turn it all off. Mm -hmm. really encourage you to get your feeding information from credentialed feeding experts. Just like I would only seek therapy from a licensed mental health professional, whatever that means in your country versus my country. I don't take mental health advice, I'm sorry, from bloggers or from influencers. Mm -hmm. I work as an influencer who also has a credential Mm -hmm. in infant feeding. And I see bloggers with absolutely no experience in infant feeding teaching very unsafe practices. So I encourage parents to turn that noise off Get your information just like you get your mental health information, just like you go to your pediatrician to ask for medical advice. Get your feeding information from registered dietitians who specialize in infant feeding. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, 
but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com slash momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5. I really like that approach where with anxiety and building confidence, I think that we often expect ourselves to go from all or nothing, like to go from nothing to like the hardest possible thing. But when you're saying we can bridge it with some purees, or maybe there are some more comfortable foods that maybe, you know, we gag less on or whatever, like more safe or whatever entry level foods and build up our tolerance and our confidence as we go. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. We can sort of wet our feet and learn alongside our baby and it doesn't have to open the floodgates, you know, all at once. It's literally baby steps. We always tell parents, your baby doesn't wake up on their first birthday and magically know how to eat a hundred foods. But starting at six months of age, I teach a five-step feeding framework where we introduce five new foods each week. Mm -hmm. So you go to the hundred first foods list. There's five food categories. On Monday, we do a new fruit. On Tuesday, we do a new vegetable. On Wednesday, we do a new starchy food. On Thursday, we do a new protein food. And on Friday, we do a new allergenic food. And then we do the allergenic foods a number of times over the weekend with no other new foods. You can include the familiar foods from previous days, but we want to observe for any potential reaction. Mm. And then the next Monday, we start right over. So by the end of two weeks, your baby's already tried 10 different foods. Did they eat and digest a lot of it? Not yet, Mm. but you're laying the groundwork so that your baby will develop this lifelong love of food because that's what we want for our children. We want for them to like food. We don't want mealtimes to be a battleground. We don't want to short order cook for different kids. And so we're doing five new foods a week. It turns out to be 20 foods a month. And in five months, your baby has eaten a hundred foods. We survey, I survey a hundred percent of the people in our program who finish and ask them every question under the sun. And we've never had a parent who said, "Mm, that was a waste of time. They oftentimes will say the most rewarding part of my parenting journey in the first year of life was accomplishing a hundred first foods. Cause maybe I sucked at breastfeeding or we had a terrible foray with with purees and I wanted to make a switch. Mm. Once I let my baby do their job, it builds this amazing confidence. It takes all the weight off of you. You don't have to force feed your child. That causes food aversions. That causes food refusal. That's the babies that end up in feeding therapy. Mm. And most of the feeding therapist colleagues that I work with will tell you, hands down, the majority of the 
toddlers that I see here are situations that could have been prevented in infancy if they were allowed to experiment with a variety of foods and flavors and tastes and textures when that flavor window is open. Mm. You know, baby led weaning as a term is relatively new. It was coined by Jill Rapley, who's the co-author of the original baby led weaning book, which is not even 20 years old at this point. Mm -hmm. But as a practice, baby led weaning is nothing new, right? Like, how do you think cave mama fed cave baby when there weren't aisles of pouches at the grocery (laughs) store? Babies have always eaten modified versions of the same foods the rest of the family does. Mm -hmm. And so this is just an extension of those responsive feeding practices you started in the first six months of life. And it is, I'm convinced, the easiest, cheapest, and literally it saves you sanity. Whether you have one child or seven children, we want our children to be independent. And this is the way that they become independent eaters. Plus, it can also kind of widen the catchment area of the types of foods that you eat. Because we have families that are like, Katie, I don't know how to make sorghum or buckwheat. I'm like, well, listen, do you want to get stuck in the rice, pasta, and potatoes rut? Like, kids need to eat carbohydrates. And if you only know how to make three of them, they're only going to eat three of them. But look, Mm. we have 20 different whole grains in our 100 First Foods list that your baby can eat. And your bigger kids, if they can be involved in the food preparation for the baby, we know that those kids are more inclined to try those foods if they help to prep them. So I I totally know how annoying cooking with toddlers is. (laughs) We get a lot of second-time moms in our program because they're like, you know what? I did the spoon-feeding thing the first time around, and now I got this terribly picky toddler, and I researched baby-led weaning, and there's research that shows it reduces the severity of picky eating. So I'm down to try it. Mm -hmm. So I love the second-time moms. Because, you know, you can sell a first-time mom on anything, right? Like your registry is full of crap you'll never use. But like (laughs) second-time moms are like, nope. But they love baby-led weaning because they realize, just like you did, well, the baby's going to pick the food up off my plate anyway and eat it when they're ready. So I'm just going to kind of like formalize it and make sure it's safe and give them a wide variety of foods. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes the unintended side effect is that the toddlers end up eating better as well if they're also exposed to more foods. And and the whole family kind of ends up eating better. My husband actually loves when we do baby led weaning because he's like, you never let us eat at restaurants. I always like feel like we're eating healthier. I'm like, yeah, exactly. And you can get to a point where you go to a restaurant for sure. Mm-hmm. Like your baby can join in your family meals. It's just you have to feed this kid for the next 17 and a half years of its life. So as parents, we, we do have to make the food. And I think sometimes for parents, that's like an eye opener. Like, you know, wholesome food doesn't magically appear on your table and it's not going to. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So here's the steps of how you do it. And again, as someone who works full time and my husband works full time, like the last thing you want to do sometimes is make new foods for your kids. But we have in our whole program for working parents, especially, we can really jam it all in on the weekends. You can try five new foods on the weekend. We have ways that this can work with daycare, if grandparents are watching the baby, because really all babies deserve the right to learn how to feed themselves and they shouldn't be force fed. Mm. Well, and I love that you've taken the invisible load and research and like planning a meal, but like all of that work that is like mental load, overwhelming and put it a structure to the program. I'm just like, yes, please. That sounds amazing. Oh my gosh. Because parents are like, I'm so overwhelmed. Like, yeah, you see this in your field. Parents come to us, they say, I'm tired of hunting and pecking around the internet. I'm tired of free resources that don't actually teach me how to do this stuff. And conflicting information. There's downright dangerous and conflicting and outdated information. Yeah. Kind of put it all in one place, an evidence-based approach to starting solid foods by getting your baby to eat 100 different foods before they turn one. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't cost any more money. We say the cost of joining our program, it's less than the cost of one month of buying pouches or one hour of feeding therapy. Mm, mm -hmm. And you know, especially how expensive therapy can be. And again, if your child truly has a feeding challenge or a feeding disorder, I want them to see a feeding therapist. Yeah. But if you can do things in the second half of infancy to help your child become an independent eater and avoid feeding therapy, that's my ultimate goal. Some of my best friends are feeding therapists, but I'm like, you guys, my life's goal is to put you out of business Mm -hmm. because (laughs) I want 
children to learn how to eat real food. We we yeah. don't need supplement programs for introducing allergenic foods. We don't need pouches. Your child can learn how to eat real food. It will cost you less. It will take less time. And you'll actually enjoy eating with your family, which that's a really important time. All the research bears it out, right? That family meals are so linked to many different health and social outcomes, but it starts from our baby's first bites. Mm-hmm. I'm just envisioning trying to feed seven children, three and under. I had three children, three and under. And I thought that I was like off the deep end of motherhood. It definitely involved the high chair straps. Like people would come over and be like, you still strap your three-year-olds in? And we interview all the like Scandinavian designers who make the high chairs and they're like, do not put the straps on the child. They should be allowed to freely enter and exit the table. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> like seven kids getting up and down during it? Heck no. I find, and honestly, in my personal experience, that the children, especially the toddlers and the preschool age kids, they feel more secure when they're strapped in. They're used to being strapped in in their car seat, yeah. in their stroller, in their chair. And we use a chair that progresses. So from the infant high chair to a toddler chair, having the straps there makes them feel safe. It helps them settle down, especially if you have particularly fidgety kids, which I had a few of those. They do better when they're strapped in up to a point. You can't have your like seven-year-old strapped in. You know, that probably <laughs> looks weird. But I have found that like getting a high chair that grows with your child where their feet can be resting flat. Mm. It's been wonderful for homework too. Talk to me about the resting flat. Talk to me about that because like I love an easy Ikea high chair that you can like hose down outside and it's like as simple as it comes. Oh, heck yeah. I am too. And even the Ikea high chair, there's a company in the United States. You can get a foot thing. Yes, called Yay Baby Goods, a husband and wife team. Oh, okay. um, they're out of Ohio. They created this really cool aftermarket third-party footrest that goes on the Ikea Antelope high chair that helps make it safer. Now, that high chair still needs a few other adjustments to make it safe for infants, but that chair doesn't work for you once your baby turns 15 months of age. Yeah. And your 15-month-old doesn't just go to sitting in a regular chair. So then parents go and buy a $50 toddler chair, and then they buy a booster. And it's like, why don't you just buy one high chair that can grow with your child from infancy through to adolescence? The one I like is called the Stoka Trip Trap. It's not sponsored by them at all, mm. but it's a chair that's been around since 1972. It's a very iconic chair designed by Peter Opsvik. It's always available on the used market. So you can get them in the US at least on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist for less than $100 used. Mm. And that's a chair that will go from infancy through to adolescence with the adjustable footrest moving down that helps keep your kids' feet flat, which facilitates a safe swallow, especially early on in feeding. Okay. But even later, like when you use it for homework, it really helps kids focus and be grounded with their not feet aren't dangling all over the place. It's kind of a game changer for some families. And it helps you at mealtime, helps you at homework. They end up being like a step stool ladder you can stand on and they don't take up a lot of room because there's nothing worse than a high chair. Like that antelope high chair takes up like a quarter of my kitchen. So mm, we can okay. do DIY adjustments though for families like I have a high chair, but the baby's feet don't touch the footrest. Of course they don't because if they touch the footrest at six months of age, at nine months of age, that high chair would be obsolete because the baby outgrew it. An adjustable footrest is what we're looking for. And mm. if you have a lower footrest that's not adjustable, we always teach parents you can put things like yoga blocks and you we kind of affix them with a bungee cord or Amazon box or your old textbooks from college that you save that you really don't need. Like you can do a lot of things to make a DIY high chair footrest to get those feet resting flat. So we teach okay. a lot about safe high chair positioning. And that's for swallowing and that's to decrease risk of choking, to put us in a safe position for gagging and having some stability over our body. Absolutely. And your baby, if they can put their feet on that flat footrest, especially when they're gagging, it helps stabilize mm. them where they can then use those other muscles to help propel that food out of the back of their mouth. And again, they can do that on their own, Yeah. but we need to set them up for success. Oh my goodness. 
so interesting. I feel like I've probably got a million more questions, but I know that we're out of time for today. And for those of you who are listening, if you're like, oh, I wonder more about this area or that area, let me know, DM me, and maybe I'll knock on Katie's door again and see if she'll come back and join us. And I would love to have you on my podcast because we need to talk a lot more about- I would love that. A lot of the issues that you were mentioning regarding anxiety about starting solid foods and then coping mechanisms. Because it's one thing to say, I'm anxious. Yeah. Okay, but your baby still needs to learn how to eat. Yeah, how do we regulate ourselves and still do what we need to do? Because it's an essential task to follow through on, but how do we not become hijacked in our body? And it's really, it can be really difficult, especially if we've had scary instances or we're really, really anxious. So appreciate you so much joining. Let people know where they can find you, find your course, learn more from you. Well, if you guys are interested in learning more about baby-led weaning, so if your baby is three or four or five months of age, you're coming up on that six-month mark, or you started with purees and you want to make a switch, I teach a free online one-hour workshop called Baby-Led Weaning for Beginners. I'll walk you through the first few days of starting solid foods. I'll show you how to make the finger food safe. We talk about the introduction to allergenic foods and what to expect when you try these foods. I also give everyone on that free training a copy of my 100 first foods list so you'll never run out of ideas of foods your baby can eat. So you can sign up for the workshop if you go to the website fortifiedfam.com slash momwell. That's F-O-R-T-I-F-I-E-D-F-A-M.com slash momwell and get signed up for the Baby Led Weaning for Beginners workshop. And at the end of that, I introduce more about the more extended program if you'd like to work together with some expert guided assistance to help your baby start solid food safely. And we'll make sure to link that in the show notes so you can click straight on through and easily find Katie. Again, thank you so much for taking the time. I've loved having you here with us. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Okay, like seven children under the age of three. Like I still cannot even comprehend all of the amounts of arms and hands and things that you would need to manage all of those littles in all the same age group. But in all seriousness, anxiety around starting solids, around choking and gagging and food being prepared and cut safely is a major thing that comes up in session often, especially if we're battling things like intrusive thoughts or postpartum anxiety we can become very hypervigilant and very aware of all the potential threat and risk that might come during this time. If you find that you're on high alert and you are struggling with anxiety, or this is maybe playing on your brain more than you think that it should, I encourage you to book in a free 15-minute consultation with one of our therapists who can help support you through this anxiety-provoking time. To book in a free consult, go to momwell.com. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where Jill Koziel, CEO of Motherly, is joining us to discuss the State of Motherhood survey for 2023. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the Momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell. Well.